This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. It is time to launch a new war against the evil of lies, deceit, and darkness and go all out to win the victory of truth and transparency and light. Sure. Go ahead. Believe everything you see on television, everything you read in the newspaper. Go ahead. Get your history out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that's right. Oswald killed Kennedy. Yeah, sure he did. Man, you are living in Disneyland. 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you know tomorrow. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Imagine what you'll know over the course of the next two hours. Welcome aboard. Welcome to the broadcast, friends, for Sunday, May the 29th, 2011. We're going to go pretty much wall-to-wall uh, UFOs, ETs, this evening. However, we will carve out a little half-hour uh, towards the uh, the tail end of the program where it'll just be you, me, and the telephone. And uh, I'm kind of liking this open line thing uh, we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, so why don't we continue the tradition? It's uh, it's a nice way for you to, to get it all said. Uh, sometimes... There's not an opportunity for you to, to call in. You just have to uh, just kind of sit back and listen and take in the information. And, um, you know, perhaps it's starting to build up like a pressure cooker. You've got questions. You need answers. You've got things that need to be said. Uh, and so we'll, uh, we'll give you that opportunity, as I say, at around 1230. Uh, first off, however, as I said, we will um, delve into UFO disclosure and um, the ET uh, phenomenon. Joining me across the way, it's been, uh, my gosh, how long has it been? A month anyway. Victor at Vigiani is here. Yeah, at least a month, yeah. And, and regrettably so, but that's okay. News director of Zeland Communications. Tell us a little bit about Zeland. Well, what Zeland Communications does, Richard, is it provides, probably in Canada anyways, the only credible news source. Uh, for the UFO ET disclosure issue. Uh, there is no other news outlet in Canada and possibly in North America, and uh, I might want to include international, but in, definitely within Canada, Zealand Communications provides the only credible news source to cover the intricacies and the many media, um, uh, I guess, um, 
findings, uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a bad data, research for the UFO uh, ET disclosure issue. There really isn't any other mainstream media uh, organization that deals with it. So Zealand Communications definitely fills that vacuum and provides the general public with information about the UFO ET issue and the disclosure problems that are um, sort of invested in, in the news media. And they're really, uh, it's, it's probably the only one that, that does it in Canada. And it's, uh, it's a great way to fill that vacuum. And we feel that it's, a, it's serving a real need in the media within Canada and, I guess, North America and internationally. And now that I figured out which microphone I'm on, <laughs> uh, <laughs> give us a website. Uh, it's just, it, all you have to do is just uh, zlandcommunications.com. Uh, that basically, that's it. All right, and if you're listening uh, south of the 49th, that would uh, that is zland.com. And if you're north of the 49th, it's Zedland. No, it's still Zland. <laughs> zland.com. However you want to. The letter Z or Z Land. That's right. Communications. Dot com. That's right. All right. Well, what we have coming up uh, for the folks tonight uh, in about 45 minutes, a time we'll check in with Hong Kong. And the uh, director of the Exo Politics uh, Group in Hong Kong, uh, who's also a graduate of the Exo Politics uh, Institute, uh, working alongside uh, Michael Sala. He is uh, Neil Gould, and this is an interesting story. Uh, Neil has ADHD, attention deficit disorder, and um, actually has written a book about this, believes, sincerely believes there is a link between, in some cases, ADHD and alien contact. That's, that's pretty much in a nutshell, right, Victor? Well, yeah, um, and I, I, could, I could sort of add to that, uh, because Neil and I have had a lot of communication over the last uh, four years within the Exopolitical Institute. He and myself and Paula Harris and Michael Sala, uh, we have a sort of a, uh, I guess, a, a very intimate link. And uh, Neil has provided me with information about the disorder of ADHD. And mm-hmm. as many of your listeners probably know, that in my career as a as a principal in the um, in the uh, school system here in Ontario, I have had a lot of um, contact and experience with children who have the disorder of ADHD. I'm not going to say it's a problem. It could be a benefit in a lot of ways. But I have had experience with adults and children with ADHD. And in looking at this disorder, if you want to call it a disorder, it is extremely differential. Um, you look at children who have the disorder and they have a different way of looking at learning. They have a different way of approaching reality. And there is something about children with this attention deficit disorder that allows them to look at the world in a different way. Many of us look at ADHD as a problem. I don't look at it as a problem necessarily. Many people look at it as a disorder. I don't look at it as, as a disorder. It is in my view, a different way of looking at reality. So Neil will provide us, I think, with a lot of um, information about his own experience with ADHD and um, what it might yield in terms of contact with off-world beings. My, my. That, I mean, that's pretty controversial, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that with uh, Neil Gould a little bit later in the program. 
Uh, first off, however, if you go to the uh, the website, the homepage, richardserrett.com, and uh, the little slideshow that's on the front page, one of the uh, stories there is uh, the JFK UFO memo uncovered, and we're going to dive right into that right now. Uh, here's a story that's uh, uh, combining the UFO cover-up with the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And um, this is a never-before-seen top-secret memo, supposedly, written November 12th, 1963. And it appears in the, uh, the memo that the, the president at the time, Kennedy, is ordering the CIA director to organize the agency's intelligence files relating to UFOs and debrief him on all quote-unquote unknowns by the following February. Ten days later, Jack Kennedy was assassinated. Well, why don't we uh, find out, first of all, what this memo is all about, and later we can maybe figure out whether it's authentic or not. And uh, to help us uh, do that is uh, Grant Cameron, who uh, became involved in ufology in May of 75 with personal sightings of an object, which locally became known as the Charlie Red Star. The sightings occurred in, uh, is it Carmen, Manitoba, which is about 25 miles north of the uh, Canada-U.S. border. Hundreds of other people sighted the, uh, the object uh, at the same time. And uh, obviously that led uh, uh, Grant Cameron down this uh, path. And in, pa- in the past few years, he's uh, turned his research interests to the involvement and actions of the President of the United States in the UFO problem. He's made 20-plus trips to the National Archives and most of the various presidential archives looking for presidential UFO material. One light, one highlight his presidential UFO research was the chance to question Vice President Dick Cheney on his knowledge of the UFO subject. Another highlight of the presidential UFO research was um, a FOIA, a Freedom of Information uh, Act, um, uh, request, to the White House Office of Science and Technology, which yielded 1,000 pages of UFO documents from the Clinton administration. And many of these findings have been written up on the President's UFO website, which is www.presidentialufo.com. Grant Cameron, a great pleasure to have you on The Conspiracy Show. How, how are you? Just fine. That was a nice introduction, Richard, and I'm glad to be here. And uh, say hello to uh, my cohort, colleague, Victor Vigiani. Victor, long time no see. I met him a couple times or at uh, the X conference, know him well, so we've had contact uh, over quite a few years. Terrific to have you on, Grant. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks. First of all, this uh, this document. Uh, before we get into whether it's authentic or where did it come from? I mean, who who uncovered it? It's actually uh, was uncovered about 10 years ago. I'm not sure exact, the exact year. If you go to the um, website majesticdocuments.com, uh, and, and the, on the side there will be headings of uh, different documents from different years. If you go to the years 1960, uh, both the documents that uh, are being sort of floated around now, there's the one which was the uh, request uh, for UFO documents, that uh, Kennedy made to the CIA, and there's also another document, uh, uh, a National Security Action Memorandum, number 271, which is uh, a request that he made to uh, James Webb, who was at NASA, 
for uh, cooperation with the Russians on the space program. Both those documents you'll find on the Majestic Documents uh, website. And where they came from is they came from um, uh, Tim Cooper, uh, who was filing a bunch of Freedom Information Act requests in the late 1990s and came in contact with a, a guy by the name of Thomas Cantwheel. And um, Cantwheel provided th- those two documents. He claimed to be a former counterintelligence, uh, Army counterintelligence officer who had worked with uh, James Angleton, who had been a counterintelligence expert with the CIA under Kennedy. So you'll find those documents have been around for about 10 years. I'm not sure exactly. It's it's at least seven, eight years that those documents have been around. And this is where they came from. And um, they're exactly the same documents. I think that the, the story that's being floated around now uh, is that they came through a new Freedom Information Act request with the CIA. Uh, now, I've done a bunch of checking, and uh, I didn't really know this, this topic was going to be here, so I didn't have much time to check, but I checked the CIA website, and if it was an FOIA uh, request that had come out a couple months ago that had been filed by this author, William Lester, uh, it would be searchable on the CIA website. It's not there. Uh, the other thing that um, came up, I, I quickly contacted Ryan Wood, and Ryan Wood and his father, uh, Bob Wood, are the people who run the uh, Majestic Documents website. And um, I talked to him and I said, uh, this, this issue has come up about where these documents come from. Uh, is this a new um, CIA thing uh, request or did these documents come from your website? And I said, I, I would say they came from your website. And Ryan wrote me this about an hour ago said, I would agree, Grant, unless he can produce some proof. So basically, he's agreeing with me that these documents that are being floated around are from the Majestic Documents website, and they've been out for a number of years already. Yeah, actually, I've been in communication with Ryan uh, over the past two or three days, and in cooperation with another request that I've made to him about another issue. He's indicated to me that uh, virtually exactly the same thing that you've talked about, Grant, that these um, these documents have been floated around and the authenticity. He feels that they are, um, uh, they are authentic. However, he requires more proof that the source from the authenticity um, aspect needs to be put forward. Um, we can talk about this a little bit later on, but I think my question would be, you know, why are these things floating around? Who puts them forward? Why are they penned in the way they are? Where have they come from? What's 271 all about? And, you know, there's just so much there that indicates to me that people are putting these things forward for a reason that we're not quite sure as to why they're putting them forward, whether they be authentic or not. We'll get to those questions in a moment. Victor Vigiani in studio, news director of Zeland Communications, and uh, one of the great UFO researchers from Canada, Grant Cameron, joining us on the line from his home in Manitoba. Back with more of the JFK UFO memo on The Conspiracy Show. Don't you dare go away. My name is Richard Serrett. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740.
Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. What are we to make of this? Let me uh, just read uh, for those who um, haven't had an occasion to peruse the uh, document in question. Uh, up in the top left-hand corner, it says Top Secret, and then the date, November 12, 1963, Memorandum for the Director, and then it's redacted, Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, subject, Classification Review of All UFO Intelligence Films Affecting National Security. Uh, as I had discussed with you previously, I have initiated and have instructed James Webb to develop a program with the Soviet Union in uh, joint, uh, can't read that, and lunar exploration, joint, thank you, thank you, Grant, joint space and lunar exploration. It would be very helpful if you would have the high threat cases reviewed with the purpose of identification of bona fide uh, as opposed to classified CIA and U.S. Uh, Air Force sources. It is important that we make a clear distinction between the knowns and unknowns in the event the Soviets try to mistake our extended cooperation as a cover for intelligence gathering of their defense and space programs. When this data has been sorted out, I would like you to arrange a program of data sharing with NASA where unknowns are a factor. This will help NASA mission directors in their defensive responsibilities. I would like an interim report on the data review no later than February 1, 1964, signed John F. Kennedy. Now, is that uh, is that document is that 271? Is that memo 271? No. no. No, no, 271 is the one that asks uh, James Webb at NASA to, uh, that they want to cooperate on space, outer space matters with the, the Soviets. Okay, so this memo that I just read, uh, I mean, what are we to make of, of, of that? Let's assume for a moment that it's legitimate. What is he really asking for? What is he really saying to the CIA director, who I understand at that time would have been John McCone? Um, my guess would be that um, it's a it's a worldwide issue. Like it was known that the, the Soviets were working on psychic phenomena, uh, this sort of stuff. And I think the idea would be the same as cooperating on uh, on uh, going to the moon or outer space matters. That uh, it, they can move a lot faster together. Uh, that they might have stuff that we need, and um, that this whole idea about uh, we want to make sure that uh, they don't. Our stuff as uh, like a nuclear attack, and we don't see their UFOs as nuclear attack. That sort of thing, where you, you're trying to not share all the data, but try to cooperate on, in terms of uh, you know not making any mistakes, so that uh, you, you start a nuclear war over the whole thing. So, in essence, what they're saying, Grant, is that if if a UFO um, an unknown of some kind were to come into play that the Soviet Union and the United States would not necessarily interpret that unidentified craft or as uh, Kennedy said uh, the unknown as to be one of a US uh, USSR craft or an American craft is that basically what they understanding yeah and yeah. you might have some sort of uh, you know some sort of hotline or some sort of uh, cooperative program on determining 
what these things look like as compared to what planes look like. That you know, that, those kind of programs where you can sort of uh, sort of weed the stuff out so everybody knows this is this is Russian, this is American, and this is unknown. So, in other words, to put it another way, Kennedy's concern was that. A, a UFO or a flying saucer or what have you uh, could potentially set off uh, a nuclear showdown between the U.S. and the Soviet because of misidentification. Yeah. Okay. What does he mean by all UFO intelligence films affecting national security? Not UFO intelligence films. Um, well, it could be, you never know. It could be gun camera. I'm not, I'm not really even too sure. Gun camera footage or uh, um, stuff that's that's uh, not from the public. That's legitimate military material that they know what it is, where it was shot. Uh, you know, it has a sort of a, a, a background that they can they can check and confirm. Well, we know that uh, Gordon Cooper was responsible for and has stated many times before his his passing that he was responsible for gun camera footage. Uh, himself and other pilots uh, of UFO footage, and these this footage was actually uh, you know taken into film uh, camera canisters and sent off to different um, I guess agencies within the United States government and the Air Force. Would those kinds of gun camera films be part of the 1956-57 and onwards into the early 60s? Part of what Kennedy might be referring to. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot. There's the the best story of that is uh, Bob Emenegger's story of being taken to Norton Air Force Base and uh, being given a, a bunch of film to put into a documentary. This is 1971, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the films, of course, is the uh, Holloman Air Force Base story of the landing, where the, this film that had gone back, but they still have a film. It's a top secret film. It had Whitnell's name on it, mm-hmm. and I, I was kind of surprised. Years later, I was talking to Bob, and they had this film had been there and they'd been given it and i said well did you put it in the why didn't you put it in the documentary and he said well it didn't really fit and this is a launch out of vandenberg air force base of a, a missile going over the pacific and uh these two ufos uh circle the the ob- the, the the missile and this is uh a top secret film and i said well what did you do with the film he said uh, i don't know i think we still got it i said you still got it and they still have possession of this film it's in a it's in a vault in in uh, Oregon I've tried to get a hold to see the film uh have not been able to but uh they were there was a bunch of film at Norton UFO films in fact in 83 uh Emmenegger tells a story about being called back again under the Reagan administration by a general Glennie Miller who actually was the first uh agent for uh Reagan in Hollywood and Miller was running the uh this DAVA Defense uh, Audiovisual Agency at Northern Air Force Base where all the military film is kept and they brought Heineck and Valet in and um, Miller said to uh, Paul Shardle who was the security manager there when, when Emmenegger was there he said okay I want you to get all the UFO film out and I want you to show it to Heineck and he said sorry General uh, you're going to have to give me a, a requisition for that I can't, I can't do it he said god damn I'll have your ass you get the UFO film out and show it to Heineck and it wouldn't go because he didn't have the proper paperwork but there's those kind of stories that this film is there. It's, it's, in, it's in places. They have it. They know where it is. Okay. And Grant, I'll just get you to hold on. We'll come back yeah. and uh, we'll discuss further. Victor Vigiani in studio, Grant Cameron, The Conspiracy Show. Keeping an eye on the new world order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416 360 
1-866-740-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Now, I remember years ago, um, it was um, one of the big networks uh, did this UFO special, and it was Rod Serling and uh, Burgess Meredith. I'm a huge Bur- Burgess Meredith fan, and I think Jose Ferreira, someone, they they uh, narrated this um, this UFO special. Was that the one that uh, Eminger was... Yeah, that, was that he wrote that, and, and produced. Yeah, that was the one where he had complete cooperation from all the military departments, where he was able to walk into the Pentagon without signing in, and was uh, put in contact with this person, that person, the, the the guy, the top CIA guy for UFOs and stuff, and just uh, it, it was an incredible case. And uh, he's it's the only time he's ever been involved in UFOs, and he still tells the stories that, that just make you shake your head that well, actually yeah, take us back. indicate the government was interested. Because, yeah, because he was, uh, he, he was like an industrial filmmaker doing, you know, uh, Bank of America stuff and Arm & Hammer films, uh, for, yeah. you know, for the corporate world. Then yeah. he gets, uh, he gets uh, um, contacted by who? Well, in in all these cases, there's always there's always a second guy. Like he was an advertising ad, advertising executive for Gray Advertising, and um, he, the the actual contact came through his partner, who was Alan Sandler, and Sandler had the uh, the intelligence connections. The same as uh, if you take a look at the old Bill Moore, Jamie Chandray thing with the MJ12 documents, Chandray had the intelligence connections, and it was Chandray who got the uh, the the film that was given to them in in his mailbox. So there's always a guy in behind who has the connections, and the the idea there was that they had been brought into Norton Air Force Base to do documentaries for the military because it was after the Vietnam War or after the the um, Nixon was in trouble, and they wanted to sort of show that you know the military was great people, and they were given these bunch of documentaries to do, and then at the very end, that's when they said, well, and as well as these military documentaries, we'd like you to do this UFO one, but we'd like you to slip it in, and uh, Emmenager was total skeptic. He couldn't believe it. He said he couldn't believe that they were bringing up UFOs. This is a bunch of nonsense. It was National Enquirer stuff. And he just sort of got dragged into this thing and really has not been involved since until he got uh, about a, I guess in the last year he was contacted by Ronald Pendolfi from the CIA and sort of, he sort of sits on the sideline, but he, he's still being contacted and he's still seen as sort of a reputable uh, advertising executive who has these connections. He had connections to Nixon, to Holloman, who was Nixon's chief of staff, and to uh, so just, one other high-ranking Excuse me, Grant, just, just so I understand it. So the Defense Department uh, uh, brings in um, Eminger and, his, and, and Alan Sandler to make yeah. a, f- a documentary about UFOs because the Defense Department wants to improve their image after the Nixon era. They want to yeah. promote advances in space exploration, and so to get the, the public interested, they decide, okay, we'll make a UFO or a documentary about UFOs. The public's interested in that. And they promise Eminger that he's going to have access to this famous UFO landing in Holloman Air Force Base in the early 70s. Yeah. Then they withdraw that at the last moment. They give it to him. He has the documentary. Ah. He has the film. He has it, and just when they're ready to uh, go with it at the end of the film, 
It was at that point when he gets called from uh, Colonel Bill Coleman, uh, who was a uh, public relations officer for Blue Book at the Pentagon, and said, uh, the time isn't right, we've got the Watergate thing, we have to pull the film, and you can, you have to use some, some animation, your own animation for it. But he was given, and this is something, one aspect that M. Nagers never really completely answered, he was given about eight seconds of the actual film. If you look at the documentary, you'll see eight seconds of the actual film of this object coming over the hill, and he hasn't really totally explained where that came here. At one point he told me this is background they would given him, but he, there was eight seconds, but the, the film was moved from Los Angeles and was taken back to the Pentagon, and he questioned um, uh, Coleman numerous times and was given about ten different answers why it was withdrawn. And then I said to them, I, well, the one question I asked him, I said to ask uh, Coleman, and he phoned up Coleman and asked him, he said, uh, why did you cooperate with us? Why did you go through all this effort and cooperate with us to to do this documentary? And Bob Emenegger's reply was that he was told by Bill Coleman at the, at the Pentagon, who's now retired, uh, when the Secretary of the Air Force tells you to do something, you do it. So, so and, it's coming from a very high rank, uh, high high level. Right. So, in other words, he had some very very tasty bait put in front of him, and then very quickly it was it was just sort of withdrawn. Well, the only thing that was withdrawn was that one film. Like as I said, they've still got a top secret film from that they never handed back, which they are still in possession of. So they were the, uh, every, the only thing that was pulled back was this 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 piece of evidence was was this landing uh, that supposedly is part of the presidential briefing where these aliens get out and they meet with high ranking officials on this tarmac and it's filmed from three different angles from the ground and stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff that they were sort of. Uh, tantalized with, but it's the type of material they can't, they, they can't, the cover-up's over if they release that. So I'm they give him a little piece of it. In these cases, are we, what, are, are we seeing, getting a rare glimpse into maybe this battle that's going on behind the scenes, whether it's in the intelligence community or the defense community, where you've got two camps, the disclosure camp uh, and the uh, you know the the secrecy camp, and so that's what we're viewing here. When someone says, "Here, here's the, the the film, use it," and then all of a sudden they pull it back. Are we seeing that battle? Yeah, I think you're seeing. I think you're seeing more of a plan than a battle. Uh, I think they've they've got a scenario of how this thing has to unfold, and the main thing that has to happen is that the cover up has to be maintained at any cost. You have to maintain it, and yet you have to acclimatize the people, and that's why this document, to me is important. Even though I don't believe this Kennedy, these two Kennedy documents are legitimate, oh. I believe it's very significant. Because if you see they're part of uh, the Majestic documents, and the thing that most people don't know uh, is that the Majestic documents, the amount of material that Bob and Ryan would receive was 4,000 pages of material. So there's lots of stories that Bill Moore, various names were thrown around as people who would hoax the MJ-12 document. If you've got 4,000 pages of these types of documents being leaked to you, this is an organization. This is a plan. This is something going on behind the scenes where they're they're releasing this stuff. And if you take a look back, when Bill Moore started, Bill Moore was told by his high-ranking official at the De- Defense Intelligence Agency, we, we there's a group that wants to release this stuff, but we have to do it legally. And legally means you cannot release a classified document. If you release a classified document... Is game over. If you take a look at this this case of Thomas Drake, who's going, he's an NSA whistleblower who released two unclassified documents to the Baltimore Sun. He's going on trial in the United States in a couple of weeks in June. 
this guy, when he, 60 Minutes did the documentary on him, if you Google search this, you'll see 60 Minutes did the documentary. If there's a leak, if they believe there's a leak of classified material, the FBI comes in, they, they, they go right to the front door, they put gun to your head. That's what they do if they believe classified material is being leaked. Therefore, I don't believe any of this is classified material. I believe what they've done is they've taken the documents, they've made small altercations to the documents or changed them so that they can release the document and if it and it'll always turn out to be phony. But they are giving you pieces of how the whole piece fits together. And one of the key things is that um, uh, the guy that the, the material was released to all these these majestic documents, these 4,000 pages, the majority of them came through Tim Cooper, and nobody could figure out the connection to Tim Cooper. Why would they release it to this total unknown guy? I was with Ryan Wood in a restaurant in Los Angeles, in, in Las Vegas, and he was showing me the documents, and one was a citation that his father had gotten for, for photographic work he'd done for the National Photographic Interpretation Center, which is the CIA place in Washington, D.C., where they'd analyzed all the U-2 and all the SR-71 photographs. The guy that ran that, his name was Arthur Lundahl. He was the guy who ran the weird desk. He was the top guy in the CIA for UFOs. And so Tim Cooper's father worked for Arthur Lundahl. That's why they picked Tim Cooper. Arthur Lundahl was also involved with Emanager. He was the one, he was interviewed by uh, Emanager, and they told a story about the CIA getting in contact with an alien at this National Photographic Interpretation Center, the UFO flying by the window. So all this stuff, if you take a look deep enough into all this stuff, it all sort of fits together. My impression is that the cover-up has to be maintained. You cannot release a classified document or you're going to be in jail for 35 years. So you release these sort of part-true, part-false documents, and you try to weave the story so that people, if this thing does unravel, if the cover-up ends, you don't have people back in 1947. You're doing it through movies, through advertising, through documents, through all this kind of stuff. The idea that they're trying to throw us off, I don't believe, because we are very small. There's Victor, I, and like a hundred other people. There's no reason for them to try to throw us off. Nobody's listening to us anyway in, the, in the major media. They're just trying to get this idea of aliens are here and this sort of stuff, but they have to maintain the cover-up because they can't control a lot of the stuff that will happen when the cover-up ends. They're trying to figure out how you control the stock market and all the different things that, that could happen if it becomes concretely known that this is all for real. So what you're saying, Grant, let me just summarize this. So basically what you're saying is that, uh, pardon me for being so trite, you're talking about, you know, Alice in Wonderland, you know, uh, the, you know, who, whoever it is. I mean, you're, they're, they're fabricating stories for us yeah. to, to create... Um, uh, uh, little tidbits of information that may be true, and then they're mixing in information that's totally false, and then it's like the three pigs and you know, all, all these are mythical stories. They're mixing them all together and leaving it to the rest of us to figure out what's true and what's not true. Is that kind of what they're doing? Yeah, but they don't really care whether we figure out what's true and what's not true. They just want us to tell the stories. They want us to talk because they control the hard evidence. They control the bodies. They control the crafts. They control the legitimate documents. That's all they need. You can be a ra- you can be a radar operator. You can be somebody who's working a missile silo. You can be like Grant Cameron who saw UFOs in 1975 in Carmen. They don't care. They they want you to talk about it. They want all this stuff to be discussed, but they don't want anybody to have a concrete piece of evidence that can end the cover up. They want people to talk. They need they need people to realize 
that this is for real, that this is going on, that there are aliens here, that there is some sort of group that's in charge and they're trying to take care of this whole situation and this kind of stuff's going on, but they, they, they have to keep control of the cover-up. That's the key thing. So you, can't, you can't release classified material. Right. So look at Robert Odin's testimony with NATO and the incident that he had uh, in Europe uh, with the the literally the the flock of UFOs that moved over Europe, um, his story is is moving. His story is extremely poignant. Why would Robert Odin be allowed to tell that kind of story from his position and his high classified um, you know secret position? Okay, because he doesn't have the document. You, they don't care who tells what story as long as you don't have any hard evidence. It's like a, a guy who's working a missile silo and talks okay. about the, all the missiles being shut down. Right. And you can, you can put them on and, and bring them to Washington and bring mm-hmm. 15 of these guys. It really doesn't matter because even Jimmy Carter had a sighting. But people will say, well, Jimmy Carter was crazy. Ronald Reagan saw a sighting. He was crazy. People just don't believe it because sightings don't prove anything. If the there's a, going to prove something is the hard evidence, and they control the hard evidence. If there's a document that's related to... Uh, some sort of a black ops program. Uh, couldn't it, couldn't a, a legal case be made that if that black ops program does not have congressional oversight, if it is, in, I mean, it's 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 an illegal, it's an illegal program. Therefore, you cannot protect it through national security. Couldn't you release an, uh, uh, such a document, a top secret document, under those circumstances, and argue no. no, no, because if you take a look at the Drake case, the Drake case. I would recommend you go to the 60 Minutes and look at their documentary. He re- he went to a congressman. He went through the National Security Agency, and basically his was that he disagreed with this program that they, these two different programs, and the one was a waste of money, and they were wasting taxpayer money, and he's a whistleblower. Then he went to a congresswoman, and that didn't go anywhere. And when he went to the Baltimore Sun and gave them two unclassified documents, not even classified documents, everybody, this congressman, everybody was raided by the FBI, because they could connect the fact that this guy had been been making complaints. He had nothing. He had no classified material. There was no classified material handed over, nothing. And, there, and he said, you do not talk truth to power, they will hammer you. If they, they've got to keep it, they will find a way to, to, to get you. You can't, the, you can't take that chance. He didn't have classified material. And he's, he's looking at 35 years in jail. Hmm. That uh, that's frightening. I mean, in a world, I'm talking. You're talking post nine eleven. You're talking in intelligence. If you take a look at this articles done by the Washington Post, you're talking about an uh, intelligence which basically has a, uh, a blank check, can do whatever it wants, and who's going to question? If if you question any of this kind of stuff, you're in favor of terrorism. You're anti-American and stuff like that. You you can't win. I mean, maybe before nine eleven, but the way it works now is these people have ultimate power. I'm told. I, mean, I, I, I had a conversation with uh, Richard Dolan, who said, um, and this is you know from the perspective of an historian who examines, as you do, uh, who examines documents. He said, and I don't know how you ar- arrive at this number. It's almost like saying how many cr- crimes go unreported. But he says fifty percent of all government documents are now classified. Fifty percent. That's it, the world that we're living in now. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. And in fact, I, I talk about, uh, you know, John, I, I did a, you may know I did this long paper on John Alexander's book. John Alexander said there's no cover-up. And he said, you know, it, secrets can't be kept. And I said, well, you know, if secrets can't be kept, I'd like to, I'd like <laughs> someone to get me the photographs from John Podesta's 50th birthday. John Podesta <laughs> was the chief of staff for Bill Clinton. And I went through every appeal. I fought these people and, uh, and Bill Clinton was involved. 
and I cannot get anything. Total, kept everything, 83 photographs and a videotape. And the reason is because of embarrassment. They, they say it's, uh, you know, personal, uh, you know, privacy and all this kind of stuff. I said he's not a private, none of these people are private, they're government officials. And basically it was because he was the X-Files man in the, in the Clinton White House. He was extremely interested in the X-Files. And so when his 50th birthday came in the White House, they had a birthday party for him, and they had, they had it was an X-Files birthday party, and Bill and Hillary dressed up like the X-Files characters. That's why they're withholding the film, and if they can withhold John Podesta's birthday party pictures, anything that's, like, top secret, and what Wilbur Smith in Canada in the early 1950s said was the most highly classified secret in the United States, the UFO situation... If you can't get the birthday party photographs, you ain't getting anything in UFOs. It's behind 15 firewalls. So, There's no way you're getting to those documents. So, Grant, are you telling us that disclosure is up against literally a concrete wall here? I don't want to hear that, but is that what you're saying? Well, I'm, I'm saying, yes, that, that in terms of, of disclosure of, of the ultimate secret being released, because they really can't really control. They don't know how to control a lot of the aspects of, of what's going to happen, but they are disclosing. That's one of the arguments John Alexander makes, okay, is that they I are see. disclosing that, that the reality of the situation is being disclosed, but the thing is with the cover-up is, can you stop the stock market from melting down? Can you, uh, oh, you know, stop people from everybody suing who thinks they've been abducted mm-hmm. or their cattle have been mutilated? There's right. so many factors that, that, that scare the, the heck out of the government, and if you are the government, the government procrastinates on anything. You've got a $14 trillion deficit in the United States they're not doing anything about. I mean, they'll procrastinate on everything. So they're, they're putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, because they really, there's so many things that they really don't know uh, the, what will happen when they do release it. So, But they are trying to get it out. I, I don't think, I don't agree that they're bad men. A lot of people say Bush and all these people, they're all bad men. I think that they are doing the best for their children and their grandchildren that they think they can do. They are doing the best. And I say, if I were to give somebody the presidential briefing and tell you all the different aspects that you, you take a look at uh, of things that could go wrong that you may not be able to control once this thing is released, you'd probably do exactly the same thing as them and say, well, let's drill another couple oil wells in Alaska. Let's just keep it going. You know, give us five more years. We'll get a few more answers. And you would procrastinate the same as them. I think most people in that situation, and the reason I looked at that was Jimmy Carter had a sighting. Jimmy Carter went in the White House and demanded the UFO files, and he did nothing. And I sat there and wondered, Jimmy Carter's an honest guy. He taught Sunday school since he's 18 years old. Why would Jimmy Carter join the other side? And I started to look at maybe there's something that they know on the other side that is something we don't know, and that if we knew what they knew. So that's where I looked at this type of thing of saying... um, that they're disclosing, but they don't want the ultimate disclosure. So we don't want to know. So we don't want to know the answers, is what you're saying. Yeah, or they can't control it because the government. In, if you're a government, if you're a politician, you're not there to solve problems and to bring you know the reality of ETs and peace mm-hmm. into the world. You're there to get reelected. And if you're the president of the United States and you release the fact that 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 mm-hmm. ETs are here and they may be abducting people and mutilating cattle, you ain't getting reelected. But, but Grant, you don't. Do you discount the fact that it's possible that what what Carter was told by then CIA Director George Bush was you don't have a need to know, or that what Clinton was told when he sent when he sent um, uh, um, Carl Hubble uh, up to the hill to find out about, you know, what happened to JFK and UFOs, that he was... Oh, exactly. The president doesn't, doesn't have a need to know. And, and, and I, there's a, more than that. Your next guest up is Neil Gould. Ask Neil Gould. He helped me recover a film out of Hong Kong 
where Bill Clinton said, was talking about UFOs, he was asked a question about UFOs, and he said, I'm probably not the first president they kept in the dark or that bureaucrats have tried to wait out. So he tried to get it, and indirectly he's saying, I tried to get it, I couldn't get it, and just in the last week or, or two, Shirley MacLaine went on a, an interview where she said that Jimmy Carter told her directly that he had been gone to his intelligence officials and that he had been told he did not have a need to know. All right. Uh, let's work in a quick call here from uh, Alan in Paris, Ontario, who's been very patient. Alan, you're on The Conspiracy Show. Go ahead. Hello, Alan. As it goes forward, um, with, with all the facts, all the figures, everything's there in both countries between Canada and the United States. The, one of the reasons why isn't just lawyers, it's, it's not just politicians and getting reelected. Uh, religion comes into play with this because uh, a lot of people w- will not want to believe that there's an alien out there because they'll say, well, what's an alien? Does that mean that God himself is an alien? That's a big question that I think that has to be answered and that uh, a lot of people haven't discussed. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, well, go ahead, if you Grant. Take a look at uh, Shirley MacLaine in this last interview she did on Coast to Coast about a week and a half ago. She talked to Jimmy Carter about it, and she said that uh, he he asked about the aliens, and she got into reincarnation. He said, "Sorry, uh, I can't." She said the conversation just shut down. He said, "Sorry, I'm a born again Christian. I cannot believe that." And one of the rumored stories about the briefing that he was given was that he came out of the room crying, and so it, it is going to affect uh, a lot of a lot of people, and the people say, well, no, we're advanced today, we're not going to panic. It doesn't take 100%, it takes 2% of people to panic, and the stock market starts <laughs> to go. And uh, 2% you can see it every sure. day that, that panic, panic can break out quite quickly. All right, Alan, thanks for the call. So, just in summary, uh, the, the JFK UFO memo is a, is, a, is a hoax, basically, although there's a kernel of truth there. Yeah, it's, 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 there's probably some of that material happened, but it's, it's impossible to tell what's true, what's not true. And again, the people behind the, the creation of that document are? I think there are people who are doing the best they can to deal with the situation that they're facing. Majestic. Majestic, the cabal, whoever is, is running the show, I don't think it's the president. We asked Dr. Eric Walker, and he claimed to, to us that it was an international group, not all Americans. There's more than 12 people, and leave it alone. There's nothing you can do about it. Go study something else. Well, I guess what you're saying is that there's something really, something or some group or somebody or whatever that happens to be in control of disseminating this information, and it's being leaked in a very, very specified and very careful and cautious manner so that whatever does come out is carefully managed by whoever's in control. Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah, and I, I think they are doing the best they can. I don't think that uh, I don't think they're trying to uh, snow us under. I think they're trying to. Uh, it's a plan. The, the the government works very carefully with very careful plans, a lot of stuff, and I think they have have this have planned out for many years. And um, this is the best thing that they they, they can think of as, as to how to deal with the fact that aliens are here. And uh, we don't know what tech to do about it. We can't. We can't show you the real document, but we can sort of give you a, a sense of one what one might look like. Uh, Grant Cameron, thank you so much for your time. The website is www.presidentialufo.com. Good talking with you.
Okay, thanks. Thanks for your interest. Good night. When we come back, close encounters of the ADHD kind. Stay with us. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Thanks once again to uh, Jeff Eden at Studio 8 uh, for this uh, composition you're hearing coming in. He uh, composed that for The Conspiracy Show. Same with the, uh, the uh, opening theme. Great work, Jeff. All right, we're going to reach out to Hong Kong right now uh, to a, um, an alien contactee who's written a true account of uh, life with ADD or ADHD. And uh, he says some, not all, but some symptoms are misdiagnosed and are the result of implants or knowledge capsules placed there by extraterrestrial beings, he says some of whom are multidimensional in nature. And further, uh, in the same way that doctors care for us, so too do ETs. They upgrade our DNA. For example, humans have 223 genes laterally spliced and without the necessary predecessors. So where did they come from? Neil Gould is director of a director of uh, the Exopolitics Institute and a graduate of the Exopolitics Institute. He holds a diploma in exopolitics and is the author of Close Encounters of the ADHD Kind. He's also a director of uh, the ex- Exopolitics Hong Kong. Neil, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm very well, and thank you very much for having me on the show. And uh, what time is it in Hong Kong? I appreciate it. My pleasure. What time is it over oh, there? Oh, we're 12 hours exactly um, ahead of you, so we're 11.58 a.m. On a Tuesday, or a Monday morning. We are Monday morning, correct. All right. And say hello to uh, Victor Vigiani from Zealand Communications. Hi, Victor. How are you doing, Neil? Good to, good to hear from you. Uh, very well, thanks. Good for you. Great. Uh, what do you do as director of uh, the Exopolitics Institute? What are your responsibilities? Well, in, in, the, in the Institute, my responsibilities, I'm on the editorial board of the Exo News website, where we, we put out information that you wouldn't hear through the normal channels. I'm sort of semi-active in the Exopolitics certification program. We have a fantastic... A program where people can come and, and learn all about exopolitics through the various um, modules run by Manuel Lamaroy. Um, he's a has a legal degree. We have Paula Harris. She's an MA and a terrific researcher, as you perhaps all know. Uh, Dr. Michael Sala, and um, I feel 
specially dedicated to these courses because it's the only place that one can really learn about what's really going on in the world. You know, this, this, uh, this reality we live in, which is just totally painted in. And um, obviously this has um, got something to do with my, my background, the contacts I was having, and perhaps the very reason that I wrote my book, which is a gentle introduction into exopolitical affairs and letting people just be aware that there's more out there than just us and, uh, and more out there than just religion as well. As a director, uh, or as a graduate, uh, rather, even, uh, of the Exopolitics Institute, do you now, are you trained now to look, uh, you look at a copy of the daily newspaper, and are you looking for um, some sort of UFO, ET underpinning behind the current events, the current events of the day, um, whether it's whatever's going on in Afghanistan or Pakistan or, or what have you. Are you are you trained to view current events in that Absolutely. in that fashion? Absolutely. One of the things that you learn in exopolitics, you learn to read something in the newspaper and then you look at the exopolitical geopolitical spin behind it. Uh, you know what are the real imperatives behind uh, going into into Iraq. What are the imperatives uh, about going into uh, Libya? Um, perhaps um, you might you might uh, hear about them talking about certain aspects of NASA, um, uh, SETI closing down. I mean, there's so many things you look at and you read about in the paper. And having studied exopolitics, you, you've suddenly got a much greater insight into the real affairs behind the scenes. Because one of the things you you, you learn in exopolitics is uh, one of the things you go through is actually meeting the protagonists in the field. Uh, for example, you know, you might be talking, I mean, um, Grant Cameron was talking about, uh, alluding to people like Robert Salas, uh, when his nuclear missile base shut down because the UFOs were hovering over it. Uh, you, you meet people like Jim Penniston, you might talk to uh, other authors of books. Um, Charles Hall, who actually worked at Nellis Air Force Base in the 1960s uh, alongside ETs. So, yes, of course, we, you know, we're highly exposed to the real realities behind the scenes, and uh, it, it probably makes us quite difficult to live with because uh, it affects the members of the family because every time something comes up on TV that's exciting, you tend to comment about what, what the real situation is and they say, oh, conspiracy, conspiracy. But uh, fortunately, that kind of um, the problem has, uh, has dissipated in my family because um, my whole family were witness to um, a very huge sighting in Hong Kong that happened in front of everybody, so that kept everybody quiet. So when you look at yeah, so when you look at uh, let's say just pick an issue, let's look at the issue of energy, Neil, for a second, and you sort of look at the overview of what the global perspective on energy, be it nuclear, be it coal, be it fossil fuels of the you know oil, uh, exopolitics has a perspective on the way energy and the issues surrounding energy in a global perspective perspective plays out. So what would be an exopolitical view on how energy uh, would be played out in a global perspective? Well, it, it starts, you know, it, it, it doesn't begin at energy. It begins at, it begins by looking at the, the pillars, the great pillars of our reality. And if I had to say to you, what are the pillars of our reality, our worldview, I would say to you, you've got to look at, you've got to take into, uh, into account the exopolitical um, implications and the exopolitical facts regarding our economic institutions, 
regarding our religious institutions, regarding educational institutions, regarding our military institutions, regarding our medical and scientific government and media. And all, this, all these different institutions are there painted in um, to mislead us and to keep us busy while these countries pick fights with each other and so take our attention away from the real issues behind the scene that are affecting us. Now, one of the things about energy, of course, is that it is a multi-trillion dollar industry. And, and, and the whole disclosure, whole, uh, the whole point about disclosure, why it will not, it will not come from the, uh, from the governments, is because the global elites are the ones who finance governments. They do not want us to wake up and to be aware that UFOs don't stop off at filling stations and fill up. So they want to keep us totally and utterly addicted to oil, and they'll do it at the expense of the planet, as you can see with Fukushima, as you can see with the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, this is the, the whole, the whole ex-political um, viewpoint, is that energy equals ufology. It's very, very closely tied together, because these, these, these machines, they do not fly, um, you know, lift, weight, drag, thrust, etc. That's flying. These craft are anti-gravitic. These craft, you know, they could solve a lot of the problems on this planet with regard to desalination of water, putting water into deserts, making deserts bloom, creating abundance. They don't want a planet of abundance. They want a planet of dependence and scarcity. And this is the, the, the very, very um, basic issues behind the, the oil industry. Do you, do you subscribe to the, the idea that the elites uh, who have this technology, free energy and so forth, constitute almost now a separate civilization and may already be off-world and therefore have no skin in this game called planet Earth, and that's why they don't care about environmental degradation and so forth. That is something that I knew about intuitively a long, long time ago. In fact, when I first uh, joined the Institute as a student, one of the papers I wrote was the a decapitation of the capstone, I <laughs> called the paper, which was a picture of the pyramid, but the capstone was gone uh, because the whole, the whole, um, whole of society, the whole of the civilization runs on the basis of a pyramid. You've got the elites at the top, and, and so at, at the bottom you have all the supporting structures, the pillars and the laborers, and you go all the way down. And I'd already felt that, you know, the first person to get technology takes it, keeps it, and of course, if you've got the ability to go off-world, you go off-world. I mean, we know... We know already that on the moon and on Mars there are anomalous structures. And uh, we, there are whistleblowers who have been telling us that there are, are bases on, on, on the moon. And uh, why not, of course? I mean, the, the more technology you've got, the more ability you've got. And so you have a splitting in, in, you know, of, of the human civilization. And one of, the, um, one of the things that really helps the split, this decapitation, takes place is, is something called the, the, the technological singularity, where... You know, the, the, the um, intelligence of computers, the abilities of computers, surpass those of humans. But, of course, the, probably in, in the case of those people who have gone of will, they have the ability to um, uh, keep control of this um, artificial intelligence and um, use it for their, for their advantage. And they, basically, you've, got, you've, probably got, you've probably already have technologically enhanced humans as well that are going off planet. Now, I made a film. It's on YouTube where I actually went into the desert and filmed some of these craft flying at something like you know, uh, 30,000 miles per hour. It's a film I call The Secret Space Program. I did it in support of Gary McKinnon because he obviously 
he got into those computers and he saw something, and something, something to do with non-terrestrial officers. So absolutely, I believe that they're off-world. I believe that they're, um, it's not the reason why they're not disclosing. I just believe they're off-world because they can go off-world. And there's too much, uh, probably too much value in, in, uh, in, in uh, having a, a slave population like humans to just sort of go away and forget about us, you know? What do you, say to, what do you say to people, Neil, uh, who are listening right now, that, that, that what we're talking about right now, there's absolutely no possible way that we are on, that you and I and the people who, who involve ourselves in exopolitics and all of this sort of research into this, this material that we are so far off base that this cannot possibly be a reality. Um, there are many, many people out there, and there's a certain large percentage of the population who believe this, that, that what we're talking about is absolutely fringe and, and, and totally unreal. How do you address th- that kind of mentality among the general public? How, what would you say to these well, people? Well, that's a brilliant question. That, that's a brilliant question because that's exactly what I do. And the way I start... I just start by, by telling people that we're living in a civilization with a painted in, totally painted in reality. And I, I addressed the pillars of our worldview earlier on. So the first thing I do in order to, to gain some kind of acceptance by showing them something that's fantastic, but yet it's real. And if you alert people, you say, for example, I mean, do you know how money creation takes place? Talk about the, the Federal Reserve. Tell them it is private. It is not owned by the government. It is private. Then you start to explain to them exactly how people get into debt through the Federal Reserve. Then mm-hmm. you come on to the point about having a slave economy. Mm-hmm. Then you come on to the point about, look, we're hamsters on the wheel. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one way of getting at them. Then the next thing you, you might talk about in the next pillar, say religion, you can start talking gently about the Bible. You can start talking gently about some of the, um, some of the stories in the Bible that might be angel-related. Well, what's the difference maybe perhaps between an angel and an E.T.? And so you go on, and then you start to talk about the Vatican, how they have a, a, a powerful um, center of consciousness and control over people. Mm-hmm. You start talking about the dogma, then you start talking about how we've lost our divinity. And then, you know, you might move on to education, education institutions, and, uh, you know, I talked to them about those lectures that I, I'd arranged here, those UFO lectures that were canceled, and I asked them, how come, why would that happen? You know, you can check it up in the, in the Internet, and you can see it actually happened. And then I start to talk about... Um, how have you noticed uh, when people talk about UFOs, they're ridiculed? And then I start talking about anthropocentric views and um, the way people, uh, the way the, uh, the religious institutions teach. And you start talking about the military and you start talking about 1.7 trillion being cycled off, siphoned off without congressional oversight in the military industrial complex. And you can go on to gently, gently, gently crash retrievals, bring in your Clifford Stones and these people who are involved in it. I actually keep some wreckage from uh, some of the, one of the Roswell crashes. So I take that out, and I show that to them, and then I show them a test report. And then I'm, I'll go on a bit about the, the um, you know, what is a patriot, you know? I mean, I mean is, is it worth dying for your country? And I sort of, you know, stimulate them mm-hmm. step by step by step by step. Then talk about the pharmaceutical industry. Are they hiding cures? I mean, these are fantastic issues. These are issues that you bring to their mind, the everyday things, and people relate to them. And slowly, slowly, surely... You break it down and you get into the area of the metaphysical, electric medium. And from there, I managed to get some kind of portal of entry into their consciousness, into their mind. Mm-hmm. And then I injected in from there slowly but surely. That's how I handled it, Victor. Neil, I, I'm guessing as we go to break here that you don't subscribe to Grant Cameron's view that uh, those in charge of the secret are doing their, their best to, to manage 
uh, and control uh, a disclosure. They're doing their best. They have our best interests at heart. <laughs> I'm guessing you, you wouldn't agree with that. I, I, I think I agree with, with Grant. I think most of those people are innocently doing their job, just like a sergeant tells a private, go out there and kill. Go, you know, go out into where the bullets are flying. He goes. I think these people are, are under, under tremendous pressure uh, from the controllers. They have to do their jobs. You know, they, they face severe consequences if they don't. Um, I don't think they can even think one way or the other whether it's uh, in, in our best interests or not. Okay. I think they're well, just doing their job in a very, very precious situation. All right. I'll cue up the, uh, the extra music again and we'll, uh, we'll uh, pick it up on the other side. Neil Gould, director of the, a director of the Exopolitics Institute and uh, the author of Close Encounters of the ADHD Kind. We'll get into that when we come back. Victor Vigiani in studio. The Conspiracy Show, back with more. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. A little bit later, we'll open up the phone lines, and we might just uh, have Victor uh, stick around for that as well, uh, because we can uh, we can take some calls on the uh, the whole UFO disclosure issue, and you may just want to weigh in and 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 give us sort of a general sense of where you're at in terms of uh, the UFO issue. Uh, a convert, a skeptic, on the fence. All right, right now Neil Gould is with us exopolitical director for uh, Hong Kong and uh, the author of Close Encounters of the ADH Kind. Uh, take us back, uh, uh, Neil, to um, when you were in school, I guess, diagnosed with uh, either ADD or ADHD and uh, uh, take us on that journey. Yeah, I was never diagnosed because I was brought up in South Africa. As a child, I was very disruptive, um, a lot of people, um, extremely adventurous, risk-taker, etc. It was only when I was about 40 years old that my sister, who runs a foundation called Addis in the UK, which helps parents and kids with, with ADHD, that she to- absolutely insisted that I, I was, um, had this condition. And they took me when I, by that time we'd moved to the UK. Um, so when I was 40 years old, I was taken down to see this, um, this psychiatrist. And he looked at me and he said to me, yes, you've got ADHD. And he basically spent weeks and weeks and weeks talking to me and giving me medication, whatever. But uh, in actual fact, um, even though my school grades at the time were very, very low, he found that I was extremely bright and really couldn't, couldn't really account for it. Um, the point is that what I, never did, what I never told him was that I'd had contact, ongoing contact since a child. And um, this is not something you can go and tell your psychiatrist because it'll give you some more pills and maybe stick you in the loony bin kind of thing. 
So this is basically the, the kind of life that I've been living. On the one hand, being aware of something going on, creatures not from here, I shouldn't say the word creatures, they visitors not from here, on the one hand, but on the other hand, not being able to concentrate. And this is what my book also sort of um, alludes to. Now, how is one d- some symptoms. How is one related to the other? How is this, the, the symptom... Uh, the symptoms associated with ADD or ADHD related to the contact phenomenon? Okay. I mean, of, of course, the, the are some, there are cases where people have pathological problems. Sure. And they display symptoms that comorbidity is one, one problem behind the other. But what happens is there are many kids who are wrongly misdiagnosed as ADD because it's now become Ritalin is the cure for it, so to speak, and, and the cure, the way you treat it, by stimulating the minds. When you've had contact, a lot of people have contact, some forms of contact, there are many forms of contact. What actually happens is you have an altered perspective on life. You have a heightened awareness. You have, you, you're super sensitive about certain things. And you, many, many kids who have had contact have downloads. And what actually happens is your, your software has been improved. So consequently, you might sit in the class, you might listen to, to your teacher talking, but the kid's already way ahead and he's bored. So what does he do? He's fidgety. Kid fidgets around, picks things up, distracts other kids, and straight away, oh, you know, you fall into the same category as the rest of the ADH people. So this is what I'm saying. Some, some cases of ADHD, they're not really ADHD. They are simply very, very bored, highly intelligent children. I mean, the world is speeding up faster and faster all the time. We need new software to cope with it. And the incarnation of these kids <clears throat> is actually proof of that. How far, how far back um, would you figure you were, you said you weren't diagnosed, but did you sense that this pathology, or lack of a better word, sort of impinged on your educational career? How, how far back did that go? Well, the minute I went, the minute I went to school, I was, I was uh, a pain in the, uh, in the rear end for every teacher because <clears throat> I was totally distracted. I was interested in... You know, otherworldly things. I was interested in, 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 in anything that was going on in the classroom. I mean, why would I want to be interested in learning Afrikaans or Latin uh, or, or something like that? I was, I was naturally uh, just a natural in biology because it all made sense to me. But, uh, you know, it, it, throughout childhood, it was like that. So uh, let, me, let me relate a story to you then. As a principal in my career, and I know you and I have discussed this before, I encountered uh, one individual uh, student in grade two um, uh, let's call him John for whatever reasons. This child came to me one day as a result of um, coming into school late, and he was very, very distraught. This boy, that's you know, John, uh, grade two, seven years old, uh, brought him into my office uh, because he was late. He was very disheveled. He had his lunch bag in his hand, and it was all kind of all over the place. And sat him down, and he, we did have problems with John before. Uh, in many different ways. I sat, sat him down in my office and I said, John, you know what? You're looking really tired. What happened? You know, why are you so tired? And um, he was very, once again, distraught. And he said, they came back. And I said, what do you mean? He said, the, the monsters from the sky. And I, at the yeah. time, this was back in 19, I believe it was, I'm just guessing now, okay, 1996 or 97. And I, being involved in this, you know, as far back as the 80s, I didn't know what to make of it. But this little boy in grade two said, the monsters from the sky came back. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, they came back and they stood by my bed. 
and I, I literally didn't know what to do with this young boy who said to me that these little guys came back and how many of them? Well, there were three of them. How did they get there? Well, they came through my window with a bright light. And this little boy was, in fact, diagnosed not only fetal alcohol syndrome, but he was diagnosed with ADHD back in 19, whatever it was, 1996 or 97. And I didn't know what to make of it at the time. But now, in the context of what you're talking about, this little guy was very intelligent, very bright, but a very, very disruptive individual in, the, in a grade two classroom. He did things that, you know, no one could really understand why a little boy in grade two would be doing these things. So in that context, and I'm only bringing this up because it's, it's one experience that I had with an individual. And I've had individuals as adults as you describe it, uh, Neil, who've had similar experiences. So uh, it, it, does this, you know, kind of fall into line with how things work with this disorder and perhaps the contact that you have experienced yourself? It's a, yeah, I mean, what you're describing there is almost exactly what happened to me. <laughs> and I uh, sort of called into the principal's office and um, contacted my parents and the principal suggested I drew pictures of what I saw but unfortunately, the next day when I was naughty again, I got caned. So it, it, it didn't solve anything. But there's no doubt that there are, you know, millions upon millions of people, kids, adults, having different forms of contact. Contact is a very multifaceted, many different forms of it. What they form did yours take? What form did your contact hmm? take? What form did your contact well, take? Well, I've had many. I mean, I had face-to-face. Uh, in, 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 my, in my bedroom. In fact, uh, the weirdest <laughs> to date was about uh, six months ago when I live here in Hong Kong on the boat. Uh, I was downstairs in the, in the bedroom and a woman appeared in my room and started talking to me. I was a little bit down at the time and uh, she was talking to me, a blonde-looking lady. She was um, looked about 40, 45, quite stocky, little turned-up nose. And... Um, I was just like totally mesmerized, and she's talking, and she's talking, and she's talking, and the next thing that happens is she winks at me and smiles, and her, her, her lips stopped moving, but the voice carried on in my head, and um, I was just totally, I don't know, what to say, I was, don't know how to describe it, it was just the strangest thing, and then she disappeared, and I stood there bewildered, absolutely bewildered, and I, I went upstairs, and my wife was sitting upstairs in the lounge, and she said, what's wrong with you? you? You look like you've seen a ghost. I said, well, I've got news for you. And I saw something. This, is a, this woman came in, and I explained the whole thing. And then a few days later, it, only, it took a few days later to realize that the lady had black eyes and that I only saw her from her waist upwards. So, you know, contact, that's one form of contact. Another form of contact is, is they were commonly referred to as greys, um, coming into my room as a child, occasions, the, the experiences were, in, in most cases, very, very pleasant. In some cases, uh, maybe unpleasant, maybe very scary. But I don't regret them. I don't think they were there to, to try to harm, uh, harm me. They were just in, extremely intense. And my son has the same problems today. So it, it does seem to follow um, some kind of genetic um, lineage somewhere along the line. So it, it's an extremely, you know, it's a subject that's swept under the carpet, just as I always say to people, just like uh, child abuse in the old days, 20, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. swept under the carpet because no doctor wanted to admit a parent would do that to their child. It's socially invisible. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's got to come out. There's just millions and millions and millions of people that are on the Internet, that are talking about it, that are on Facebook talking about it. You see all the groups coming up. 
it's, it's a phenomenon that's widespread, and it's all got to do with the raising of our consciousness. I'm convinced of it. So when you talk about socially invisible, I love that term you just used a moment ago. Uh, what, what do you mean by socially invisible? How do you, how do you frame that? Well, it's socially invisible in terms of, like, uh, I mean, you know, there's some families that might have a member of the family who's a drug addict, and he attends all, all the functions, but you never know he's a drug addict. Uh, just like I said, with, with child, uh, you know, um, um, people abusing the children, they, they, they beating them up. 20 years ago, it was socially invisible. You never knew this kind of thing happened because the doctors would say, oh, the kid fell down. No doctor would say publicly, you know, that the parent beat the child. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't a done thing. It just was, it just, because they thought nobody would believe it. So and that's, that, it's the same thing today with abduction. It's socially invisible. No, no psychiatrist will say, oh, you've been abducted. <laughs> you see? Because the psychiatrist looks stupid. So if, if there are, let's ostensibly saying something, Neil, that we've got, you know, let's say many thousands of listeners out there right now uh, who are listening to your voice and saying, my goodness, you know what? It, what, what this man is saying to me is resonating with some of the experiences that I've had or that my children are having. Uh, what would you say to them as to how they figure out the anomaly or the alo- anomalous character or nature of what their children or what they're going through? What do you say to them to try to make sense of what they might be going through that they don't understand at this point? What do you say well, to them? What, what do you I, say? I say to everybody is they must understand that I'm in a very, very specialized part of this field, you know, and uh, what I cannot do is talk medically. Mm-hmm. So if, you're, if you, this resonates with you, you should always have your child looked at professionally first. Listen to what the professionals are telling. Maybe there's, like you're talking about, some sort of alcoholic fet- uh, fetal uh, syndrome. There, there might be uh, some, some problem uh, behind the ADHD, so they may actually have a, uh, some kind of pathological problem. Mm-hmm. In other cases, the kids might not. They might just be highly destructive, intelligent, and I'd say to these parents to be, to be very careful with these children. Make sure that you, you stimulate them as much as you can and be very careful of one thing. Do not attack their, self, their self-esteem. Do not attack their confidence. Don't, don't go punishing them severely, this kind of thing. You've got to really work with them. Try to help them. Work with them by stimulating them. Give them interesting things to do and work with them and see. See what comes out. Talk to them about metaphysical things. Do they see anything? Do they dream anything? Do they experience anything? Very gentle, gentle approach to the subject. And I think, you know, you can, you can actually find out whether your kid is something, someone who's experienced contact or somebody or a kid who's just perhaps uh, mm-hmm. um, just, just slightly disturbed over, over, you know, various matters. Maybe something wrong, you know? All right. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, uh, stay put. We'll uh, come back. Uh, Neil Gould stays with us from Exopolitics Hong Kong and Victor Vigiani in studio the news director from Zealand Communications, back with more of The Conspiracy Show. If you'd like to get on board, questions and comments, 416-360-0740. And toll-free from Maine to Minnesota, Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, 1-866-744-740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. 
This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Just a few more moments remain with uh, Neil Gould, author of Close Encounters of the ADHD Kind, and uh, he's also the director of uh, Exopolitics Hong Kong. Uh, in fact, the website is www.exopoliticshongkong.com. Uh, I'm fascinated by the idea of um, uh, ETs upgrading our DNA, which I presume is being done through the contacts abduction phenomena, correct? Correct. Okay. How, how, how specifically uh, is our DNA... Uh, being upgraded. You mentioned that we have 223 genes laterally spliced and they don't have any of the necessary predecessors. What, can you explain that further? Well, first of all, that, that is the research of, of um, yeah, a particular Russian researcher. Um, from, my, from my own perspective, from my own research, is what I really look at. And having you know, studied quite a lot of what um, uh, Rupert Shel- Dr. Rupert Sheldrake talks about, which are these morphogenic fields, I'm starting to realize that it just might be that the upgrading of the DNA enables us to tap into these morphogenic fields, and that is where we're getting our downloads from. In other words, consciousness is layered. There are many, many layers of consciousness in the universe. The whole universe has a fabric of consciousness binding it all together. And the, the sensitivity to these morphogenic fields is what is really, uh, is, is, is really what is raising our consciousness. We are, we are accessing more of the invisible medium. And by accessing more of the visible medium, it's like saying, you know, the parts of the veil are disappearing and you're seeing, seeing beyond. And I, I totally believe that the upgrading of humanity has been going on since the last 450,000 years, uh, all the way up to the present time. And it might seem a long, long period of time in terms of the anthropocentric view, but when you probably... When you're an extraterrestrial, you're something that's overcome death. Uh, in time, you have a, a completely different understanding of time. You might, you might be able to hop out into, into an area of non-local time and pop back in later or pop in and out of it anywhere along the, 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 linear, the linear run of time. So I, I um, am absolutely convinced that what they're doing is they're fine-tuning our abilities and perhaps we haven't been that successful up to now. I mean, we, we're heading towards, we, we're in the nuclear age. We've got to get through it, get out of it, before we go into the technology, deeper into technological age. Why are they doing this? So, are, are, um, they, are they wanting us to, are they trying to elevate us so that we are uh, appropriate neighbors in the, uh, in, in, in the cosmic community? Or are they, are they attempting to splice their... Um, are they trying to meet, merge their species with ours because we have something that they don't? What, what is the motivation here? I don't, I don't believe it is that. Those are the sort of, those sort of ideas that come out of the, the, the Jacobs and Hopkins type research. I think this is, has an incredibly deep spiritual element to it. I mean, I, I believe that there are celestials out there. Those are sort of disembodied intelligences that don't need craft to get from one place to the other. They are part of the fabric of consciousness itself. And I think they've created other beings. And, and, and you see, look, what are we doing now to animals? We're making transgenic pigs. We're playing with their genes and we're making uh, pigs that we can, we can take their hearts and use them for humans without um, any rejection. I mean, this is on a very, 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 very small, low level of, of genetics. Well, you, you can look at these extraterrestrials and it's, it's, it's the way the universe works. The way the universe works is that 
fledgling civilizations are created, nurtured, gotten to a point where they can leave their planets. I mean, planetary living is only a small part of any civilization's existence. I mean, just think about all the, um, all the uh, hazards that are in our way. The sun will eventually expand and burn the planet. Or asteroids could hit your planet. You've got to be able to get to a certain technological level so you can leave your planet. Perhaps make another solar system one day, like a type 3 civilization. Perhaps go and inhabit other parts of the universe. And then ourselves, just like we do genetically mess around with pigs and other and, and genetically modified foods or whatever, we can go and do the same to other fledgling civilizations. This, this is the whole process of what actually goes on in the universe. It's multi-layered, multifaceted, and it's a multiverse. So that we're in a universe. Yeah, so that we're in a stage of preparation. We're in, we're, we are going through the, some of the final processes for for making sure humanity. I mean, our consciousness is rising very, very, very fast. Look what we've done in the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. What we are in, and now, we're in the last situation, in the, in the final stages of of being a situation where we're controlled by our own species. You know, like slaves. Consciousness is rising extremely quickly. You can see people around the world are revolting. People are waking up. Systems that we put in, the painted in realities are crashing. Religions, religions will crash. Or they might, to prevent crashing, they might actually transform. You can see the, you can see the military um, problems around the world. You can see economic institutions imploding. You can see education, people bursting out of it and saying, hey, hey, what's really out there? Look at people like Nassim Haramein coming up with new ideas on quantum mechanics, new theories. We're at, we're at a, a point of convergence. I reckon this is probably what 2012 is about, where we actually break out of this enslavement, this entrapment, and each one of us will have the ability to look at what's really going on, understand it, and, and, and perhaps determine our future in such a way that we'd be, we'd be able to get in touch with each other much easier and on a collective basis create tomorrow. So I guess what you're saying is that in some ways... Uh, some of the individuals on this planet with the disorders like autism or Asperger's or ADHD or schizophrenia, in some way or shape or form, and I don't want to make a case of this necessarily, Neil, but that some of the people who suffer from some of the more exotic disorders that we look at as, in fact, disorders may be in touch with this kind of transition. Is that kind of what might... Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely correct. I mean... It's like a dolphin, a whale. There's an inner world. There's a whole inner world going on. Our consciousness is only tuned to the outer world. You see? There's an inner world as well. And many of these people are tuned to other processes that are going on that maybe have absolutely no relevance Mm -hmm. in in this this 3D world that we're in now. I see. But perhaps in time to come, Mm. they will have relevance. Fascinating, Neil. So I don't uh, really want to write off people with autism at all, you know? <laughs> no, no, certainly not. Neil, this is uh, fascinating, and again, the book is Close Encounters of the ADHD Kind. Where can people get a hold of the co- uh, a copy of the book? You can go to Author House, or you can go to Amazon.com. Terrific. Neil, real pleasure speaking with you. I hope you'll join us again. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed being on the show. Neil Gould, ExoPolitics Hong Kong. All right, listen, um, why don't we take a, a, a quick timeout? Do we owe you a timeout? We do. All right, let's get that done. Come back, and we'll, uh, we'll open up the phone lines. And if you'd like to uh, continue on in the UFO vein, Victor Vigiani will stick around, and we can do that as well. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. And toll-free from out of town. 866-744-740. Get it said. Open lines now to the top of the hour. Just about anything goes.
When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations, what goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Next week on the program, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes. Uh, Douglas Wellman and uh, Mark Music uh, will be on the program. Can't wait for that one. That's an interesting chapter uh, in our history. All right, Victor Vigiani stays with us, and uh, we'll open up the phone lines. We'll, we'll uh, field some UFO uh, questions and comments as well, but just about anything else uh, uh, goes as well, as long as it uh, obviously deals with the subject matter that we talk about on this program. Uh, JR is in Brant County, down in my old neck of the woods. I'm on, Josh. Hey, JR, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank um, you. That previous question regarding religion, that ties into a whole whack of things. I'm sorry, the, which, which? There was a previous question about a half hour ago regarding religion. Oh, yes. Which retired, it, it goes into a bunch of different subjects. Um, when you're looking at aliens, you can talk about religion, you can talk about politics, but the reality is there's been millions and millions of, of encounters. My question is, why is it with today's technology, with everybody having cell phones with cameras, and everybody's got cameras everywhere, why don't we have better documentation of this instead of just of uh, word of mouth and and everything like that where people have eyewitness accounts without documentation where is the newer documentation that should have been happening probably in the last five years well i can i can answer that question very very quickly um if you look at the internet which um in my opinion um, is not overly reliable and when you look at the camera film that's on from people's cell phones and even just video, right. there are well over, and I've done some research on this, three and a half million uh, videos. 3.5 uh, million videos are actually out there now as we speak? Easily, easily. And I'm underestimating, and underestimating the number. Is it, that right? Yes. Now, now, if you take a look at the you know 3.5 million videos that are out there, and how many are actually credible? Um, you, you've got people taking pictures of anomalies in the sky. Um, it, it's just amazing the number of videos that are out there. Not only the ones that are out there, but the ones that have been fabricated. So what happens is you've got a number of the videos that are out there that are completely fabricated, and you put them together with the, let's suppose... Uh, legitimate. Yeah, exactly. It's a good word, legitimate. And it, it's almost impossible to tell the difference. Now, why is that the case? 
the the internet is a wonderful place to be but in fact what happens is you've got all this other information out there that creates this instability of of uh, of uh, of uh, perception and that instability of perception causes the incredulity and the ridicule of the good cases so i know of and I, i'll be very objective but i know of probably 10 okay just off the top of my head and i've been involved this and out of the well, yeah. Five million. Well, yeah, I, I, about. yeah. I've been involved in this for thirty-five years. So let's right. just use a number of ten. Okay. And, and I will never ever put on my website anything that's even close to um, legitimate unless I have it um, legitimized by a number of experts. So let's suppose there Absolutely. are ten good things out there. That's a pretty low percentage. So when you talk about the number of people who are capturing these videos out there that may be good, but really are sort of inbred or sort of um, mixed in with all of the, the hoaxes and a lot of the garbages out there. What the media does is shut down. They don't consider this information as good documented evidence about what this issue is all about. And that's what the Internet suffers from. JR, thank you for the call, my friend. Let's um, Thank move you for clarifying that. It uh, okay. that actually summarizes it because you're right. Um, th- there's just so much hoaxes out there. There's so much uh, manipulation. No. And like you said, 10 out of 3.5 million? That's just my estimation, okay? Which is probably a good estimation, but um, it will come forth in time. Good stuff. All right, Jared, thank you in Brant County. Let's say hello to Marie in Toronto. Good morning, Marie. Hi, Richard. Hi there. Um, You know, um, I I, I hate it when people say, um, well, you know, that's impossible because we don't have that kind of technology. like we've had 60 years uh, of technology in all fields that we are not aware of. And uh, Clinton, uh, Hillary Clinton, once said that, uh, once said that uh, the uh, alien question was like touching a tar baby. And I believe that's because it involves all other and connects all other black ops operations done by the government. I mean, they've made animals glow in the dark. You know, that don't normally glow in the dark. And you ask them why, and they go, oh, because we can. So I think if they were to come out and, 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 you know, like they can't let it out because they're the ones guilty. I believe there's people in other universes. But if they were here, I can't see why all this cloak and dagger stuff would be going on. You know, uh, I've had, uh, like, uh, what I think is laser residue put under the top lid of my eyes. I've had things put in my ears. I've been poisoned by nano delivery systems twice. So I, I, I think it's all blacks, ops, and they can't reveal it because, you know, they'd be sued by so many people. Well, they, if, they, if it's black ops, uh, are you then suggesting that they back-engineered the technology, or where did they get the technology to begin well, with? Well, personally, I believe we've been at this point of technology in our history before. And I think we, we ruined the world. And uh, some went off, uh, off planet, and others went and hid, like in the bunkers that they're all <laughs> setting up now. And so, um, you know, all these people die, let's say, let's say 90%, which is what they want to get rid of now. And then so all these other people, you know, were reborn, clueless, didn't have you know, any type of education or anything, and then you have all these high mighty gods with all their technology and with all their knowledge, and I'm sure a lot of it has been hidden, and like I said, we have 60 years in every field we could think of 
uh, of technology that we know nothing about. All right, Marie, that's an interesting perspective. It's one shared by, I would say, people like Michael Cremo, uh, you know, the, and, and even going back to, you know, the Vedic writings that uh, we've been, yeah. we've, uh, we've had nuclear technology uh, thousands of years ago, fought atom- ancient atomic wars, uh, civilization, you know, it rises, it falls, it rises again, and we're, we're just on the latest wave. Marie, interesting perspective. Uh, let's uh, move along to Kitchener and say hello to Roy. Good morning, Roy. Good morning, Richard. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you, sir. Hey, it's just been. I have been trying to get to to call you, but most of the time I couldn't. But anyway, you're in. Um, you're on the air now, my friend. Yeah, you made it. You made it. You're doing a good job, man. Thank you. I enjoy your program. Um, there's one very brief thing I wanted to let you know that um, uh, of all the programs, this one here really hit me tonight. And uh, when I was listening to that gentleman from Hong Kong talking about the ADHD thing, yes, mm-hmm. man. Um, what happened is that um, I, I was born in Ghana, South America, you see, and um, I had an experience, not only myself, but my two, my elder sister, my younger sister, were after me also. Uh, what happened is this, that I don't know if this is an ADHD thing, but what happened is that I think I was touched by something in our backyard, and whenever we speak, I would always, we would hear like an echo in our ear, but someone is repeating what we said. But in like in a very slow manner. Who who is we? Like when you have who, who is who is we? and you're playing it and it's dragging. I understand it's in delay. So who is we? Oh, when we when I say we myself and my two sisters. All and, right. Uh, we would hear these songs afterwards, and our parents they were so old fashioned they never believed or listened to us. Eh? And there was another instance where my sister after me, the younger younger one. Um, back home there, they have the outside latrines, right? Yes. And she was there, in there, and all we heard was this big scream. And when we went to rescue her, um, she was pretty young then, she said all these huge toads were full in the in the little outhouse there. And we went there, and there's nothing. Toads. And then another instance happened. The three of us were sitting, having dinner in the evening around 6 o'clock. My grandmother, she was downstairs, and there was this, Big, huge bang on the tin roof of the house upstairs over us. So we ran outside. There was a guy about 20-something years old. We called him. He climbed up up to the house and couldn't find nothing. And whenever uh, I talk about it, or I, if I lay in bed and I'm thinking about these instances, like the back of my neck, I can just feel the hair just standing up. When this gentleman from Hong Kong was talking about this thing, it dawned on me. I said, did... Is it something that uh, happened to us or to me that related to ADHD? Well, that's very three very different, unexplained uh, phenomena that, that that have occurred in the course of your lifetime. But I mean, how do you? Where are you going with it? I mean, how do you? Are you pulling these all together and suggesting maybe there was a contact, an alien because, contact, or what do you? Yeah, I think it was a contact because what happened was when I was in, uh, just before prior, prior to going to high school, uh, like I had no kind of uh, interest in different subjects, only in uh, like biology. I was an A student, A plus student in bio. Now, there, was, there were instances when I would tell my mom and my parents about the, this woman that would come into my room to visit me. was a Caucasian woman, blonde hair, in a, like something almost like an evening, white evening gong. But I was so scared, I never looked into her eyes. And she would visit me. And when I migrated to Canada, 
It happened a few times here also. But the same woman. Hmm. It's a Caucasian woman, and uh, she would visit me in my room, only in my room when I'm in, when I'm in bed sleeping. And how so would she communicate with you? There were so many instances and so many different things that happened. That I, I can't go on too long with you mm-hmm. on this because I know there are callers, callers trying to get through to you. Too. No, no, that's important. How would she communicate with you? Pardon me? How would she communicate with you? Oh, um, she would communicate, well, most of the time with a smile. And she would stand just by the foot of the bed. Mm-hmm. And I would be lying down. And um, she would uh, tell me things about, like, what's going to happen tomorrow. So before I get to work or to school, I already knew what's going to happen. Precognition. And uh, another thing is that regard, besides the, the image of this artist woman visiting me, um, when I was in high school, my dad was ailing. And um, I was just about to finish up high school a year before that. My dad had to go to see a specialist in the city, blah, blah, blah. Long story mm-hmm. short is that the day before my dad left, to go see that doctor, that specialist, I told my dad exactly what is wrong with him and what the doctor will, will treat him for. So my dad went to the city, which is about a few hours uh, travel. When he came back the afternoon and I came from school, he called me upstairs and he asked me, how did I know that? I said, I don't know. I just told you what the doctor's going to tell you. I know and something told me that I know what's, what's, what's wrong with you. Right, lot, a lot going on there. Uh, yeah, hard told, to, uh, hard, and, and I, I got to move on to another caller. Yeah, but yeah, I, then my dad mentioned to me that exactly what I told him, the doctor said the same thing to him. Mm-hmm. And well, it's still happening. There are things happening right now, but it's too long, too many things for me to tell well, you. Well, you share them with us on another occasion, Roy, but thank you for the call. Uh, hard to say what's going on there. Um, you know, obviously a lot of interesting <laughs> phenomena in your life. Uh, let's say hello to our good friend, uh, media scientist Nelson Thal. Make this the last call of the evening. Hey, Nelson. Hey, Richard. Uh, welcome back home. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, very exciting story about the UFOs. You and I have talked about them for a long time and tried to keep a, a, a neutral opinion on it as much as possible. But more and more, I believe in extra-dimensional beings. And um, I think you and I find there's a necessary and sufficient condition in them to lure man into Armageddon. Well, yes, you and I have had many talks about sort of the, the biblical um, meaning, uh, perhaps, uh, and, and whether or not uh, uh, these are interdimensional and perhaps demonic. And, uh, uh, you know, for me, I'm still trying to figure out why ETs would come here almost sort of as an interloper, and while there is this sort of biblical narrative for those that believe in the Bible playing out here on planet Earth, uh, it does seem strange, but if you if you look at it from sort of more of an interdimensional, you know, if we're talking about the angelic realm, it certainly makes more sense, again, in that biblical context. Uh, but what do you make of the, uh, the, the, the Kennedy, as a Kennedy assassination researcher, um, what did you make of this uh, this JFK UFO memo? I mean, did, was he interested in this sort of thing? Well, I I think that as a, what we've done is an, a, analyzed um, JFK's assassination and the reasons for it, and um, 
uh, as I recall, you mentioned it's a November memo, and I think it's important to realize that there were attempts on his life in October and in September and in the summer in Miami, reported by Sherman Skolnick, May Brussel, Penn Jones. So there were earlier attempts long before November, and Time magazine uh, and Henry Luce tipped it off and said it was in February of 62 that they made the decision. So... Um, I, I think it, I don't think that there's any connection between his looking into a UFO issue and his assassination. That's one connection doesn't make isn't. That's an excellent uh, point. Yep, is not there. But the thing is that doesn't take away from the importance of this whole UFO issue, which is exciting everybody. And um, it's important, I think, to remember that since you brought it up, the biblical, it's the King James authorized version, 1611, reveals that the kings of the earth are uniting the armies of the earth in order to police the planet and then be fooled into giving that power over to the control of one man. Hmm. All right. So, And I think that's what we're watching happen. Uh, okay. Well, Nelson, always appreciate your, uh, your insights, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, Rich. Nelson Thal. Uh, Cloak and Dagger is uh, the program. I'm sorry, Shock Talk with Bloom and Steel, formerly Cloak and Dagger. All right. Uh, well, what do we do here? Do we need another break? No, we'll just, uh, we'll just take it right on into the sunset, Victor. What do you, uh, you want to uh, say in conclusion? Well, in conclusion, we don't know what we don't know, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the, the summary of everything that we talked about tonight. Uh, we've heard so many different perspectives about, uh, you know, the, a president who may have known about things, may not have known about it. Uh, individuals who suffer from different disorders uh, that may or may not know things. The fact of the matter is that, uh, you know, it's inescapable that we are being contacted by entities that aren't of this world. All the documentation, all the information that we've looked at, seen, we continue to talk about, indicates that something is going on. And whether it be biblical in nature, whether we go back in uh, history, you know, just ordinary, you know, public history of, of our planet, uh, the fact of the matter is that we are not alone. There are entities that are impinging upon a reality. And the messages that are coming through... Uh, are quite clear that there are many messages. Now, what they are are very disparate, and they're very disjointed. And what we have to do is try to make sense of what these messages are. And what are the messages? Well, for me, the message is there is an existence off-planet. Let's, let's give that as a, as a given. There, there is a message that there are entities that exist off the planet, wherever that might be, interdimensional or point A to point B in another planet. Who knows? I don't know. And I don't even want to speculate necessarily as to what, what that might be. But the, fa the, other, the other fact of the matter is that this information is being hidden from us. And that People like you and I and people that are, you know, like Grant Cameron and Stephen Bassett and all the people that are involved in all of this are trying to investigate what this message might be. And what we have to do is create, and I continuously say this, is we have to create a continuous, ongoing public discourse about what this information is. Our public media has to talk about it. Uh, people on the subways have to talk about it. In our newspapers, we have to talk about it. But until that kind of thing happens, the kind of information that we need to know about will be hidden from us. And until those entities that are responsible for information uh, begin the discourse, 
it's going to continue to be hidden and that's what our job is to get this information out and make the truth known Victor Vigiani news director from Zeland Communications give us a website zlandcommunications.com alright check it out and we're linked up to that on uh, my site as well richardserrett.com you can also follow me on twitter twitter.com forward slash richardserrett in the meantime don't be afraid there's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known what you hear in the dark speak in the light what I say in a whisper proclaim from the housetops move over Aphrodite I'm coming home good night This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.